the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. Welcome to Always Right Radio with Bob France on AM 1420. The answer. Always right, indeed, each and every day, each and every hour, and as you can hear by the sound, each and every second. That sound, my friends, is the clock ticking on the Ohio House of Representatives. We better be hours away only from the fastest and most swift and direct override of a governor's veto that we have seen in this state, maybe in many, many decades. You are on the clock, Jason Stevens. You are on the clock, Ohio House Republicans. You voted with a veto-proof majority for the SAFE Act. You better be prepared to vote to override the veto of that SAFE Act. This clock has actually been ticking for far longer than just since the day uh, that uh, Governor DeWine, I think it was on the 29th of December, vetoed it. This clock has been ticking, quite frankly, for a very long time. Because somebody has needed to step up and protect children in this state. Somebody has needed to say, we will push back against the insanity of this trans movement in which little children are being taught at toddler ages. Do you think I'm kidding about that, by the way? I've got, I've, I've got a story here that's not about, uh, about transing, but this is what they're doing. They're getting these kids at their earliest, most formative stages. Academics, headline, academics call for critical race theory to be taught in kindergarten, and they warn of racist three-year-olds. Three-year-olds are being branded as racist. And critical race theory must be taught at that very young age, at the very latest at kindergarten. That's what they're doing to your kids, to our kids, 
They are doing anything and everything that they can to warp them and pollute their minds from the very earliest moments the kids can form thoughts. They're telling them at a very young age that they have to declare their sexuality and sexual orientation, much less gender identity. They know these things at a very young age, we're told. And once we accept that they know these things at a very young age, then we will accept what? Then we will accept them being able to explore this in their formative years, in their primary years, in their five and six and seven and eight and nine-year-old years. And then, as they get a little bit older and into pre-adolescence and puberty, we can head that off because we have already brainwashed them and told them for years now that they aren't what they really are and that they don't have to accept what they really are, that that can be changed. The left likes to call this this brainwashing, this grooming, this indoctrination, this preparation for puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones and then experimental surgery on their bodies. They like to call that gender-affirming care. The only real, true gender-affirming care is to tell children, no, you are a boy, no, you are a girl, and if you have some issues in your mind dealing with that, we will get you help. We will get you the psychological, mental, and psychiatric assistance you need. You're not going to butcher your body. We're not going to recommend that you butcher your body. We're not going to allow you to butcher your body, and that's the reason the SAFE Act was passed. That safe act was passed to protect kids. And I read all over Ohio media, everywhere, that what we are doing and what House and Senate Republicans in Columbus are doing is the opposite. That they are denying children care. They are denying trans children the, quote, care that they need. Because somehow, some way, somewhere, somebody decided that experimental surgery and lopping off healthy organs and healthy body parts and permanent disfigurement and permanently sterilizing and making infertile young people, somebody decided that that was care. That is in no way, shape, or form care. In fact, it's just the opposite. And any medical provider, and I'll use that term instead of doctor, because I do not believe those people are truly doctors in the sense that they believe in the Hippocratic Oath to first do no harm. Cutting off healthy organs is harm, providers. It's not gender-affirming care. It is bodily disfigurement. It is Joseph Mengele-style experimentation. That's what it is. It is Frankensteinian or Stinian. It's a made-up word, so I can say it how I want to say it. But it is. It's like Dr. Frankenstein, who built his monster out of different body parts taken from different places. They're doing that to children. And, of course, they're doing that when they get to 18 after filling the... And that's the worst part about this, by the way. I was having a very brief discussion about this on Facebook last night with somebody uh, who was talking about, hey, if you're an adult, you can do what you want. If you're 18 and over, go go for it. And I'm like, yeah, I guess, but 
Is an 18-year-old in any better of a position to make a call like this if they have spent their years of 17, 16, 15, 14, 13, 12, and, 10, and 11, and 10 being, being indoctrinated and being uh, started on the puberty blockers that are permanent? Started on the cross-sex hormones? I mean, are, are they really making an adult decision at 18 when they have been polluted for the last several years with, with the lies and the grooming? The Ohio House has a job to do. They are on the clock. Now, what I'm reading is that there is and are plenty of votes needed to override this veto today. And that later this month, the Senate would then take it up and the Senate would have their override vote. I don't know why things have to move at such a snail's pace. It's probably one of my greatest character flaws is my impatience. I'm impatient when it comes to the impeachment of Joe Biden. I'm impatient when it comes to the impeachment of Alejandro Mayorkas. I'm impatient when it comes to uh, votes in Columbus. I'm impatient when it comes to overrides like this. I would like Jason Stevens to call the vote this morning at the earliest possible hour, have the override vote, and then walk it over to the Senate side and hand it to Matt Huffman and say, there you go, we did it, you do it. And then for Huffman to call everybody into the chamber and say, let's go. Now, I don't know if the Senate is even back. I know Stevens called the House members back for this uh, for this uh, uh, morning's event or this today's event. I don't know if the, if the uh, senators are even there, if they're not coming back to the 24th. That's a problem. But I just wish that we could do the right thing and do it expeditiously and not through procrastination. You're on the clock, Jason Stevens. We'll do what we can. We'll take what we can get now. I hope every single member of the Ohio House recognizes what we are talking about. This is not a ban on gender-affirming care. It is quite literally the opposite. It is a ban on destruction of young people's bodies. It is a ban on experimentation. That's what the safe act is. It is a, that's why it's called saving adolescents from experimentation. It's truly what it is. And, of course, I haven't even touched the, the, the second element of this, which is the Saving Women's Sports Act. Yesterday, John Husted, for whom I have very little use, quite frankly, he, 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 kind, of, he kind of breaks with DeWine <clears throat> from time to time, most of the time he's in lockstep, but especially if DeWine is on his way out, which he is term limited, and John Houston wants to replace him, he knows DeWine is not popular for a variety of reasons. Uh, what he will do sometimes, John Houston, then is wait until we're getting close to that uh, term limit and then say, you know, I disagree with the governor's veto of this. So yeah, I don't have a ton of use for him. However, I will take allies wherever I can get them. And in this case, John Husted is an ally, and he made uh, uh, his position clear yesterday. Men should not play women's sports. Boys should not play girls' sports, to make it very direct, as we talk about this at the uh, school level. Less than 24 hours before DeWine announced his veto, Husted posted his thoughts on X, saying, I've, it's been, um, I've been asked my opinion on HB 68, I support it for two main reasons. Men should not compete in women's sports, and permanent medical decisions concerning gender should not be made when you are a child. I hope the SAFE Act will become law in Ohio. 
So he was asked about that response um, again yesterday, and Husted um, was asked why. Hold on. Uh, I'm sorry. He was asked about his response uh, to learning the, that the governor had uh, vetoed the bill, what his first response was. He said, there's a narrow provision in here that the governor objects to. Reasonable people can disagree on this. I just believe that men should not play women's sports for lots of reasons, and we shouldn't have these surgeries that create permanent medical outcomes for children before they are old enough to decide on their own. Those were the main two reasons why I objected to the bill, and the governor objected to the bill on, a dif- on different grounds than that. And he and the legislature are trying to work that through. So I, I still don't necessarily know what the grounds are that, that, that uh, DeWine objects on, because he started to object in his veto on the grounds of the government shouldn't substitute their judgment for the judgment of the parents. But then, a week later, as you heard last week, and we carried the, some of that for you live, um, he announced that he was putting the government in charge of those decisions, at least from the surgical standpoint, not from the grooming, not from the prep, not from the pre-op, which is the uh, puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones, but from the surgery part, he was going to let the government make a decision. DeWine is all over the place on this. Husted is trying to be an ally here, but again, I don't necessarily give him a ton of credit because I think a lot of it is very, very self-serving. What I also don't like to give credit to and is, is people who literally lie and make things up about what is happening here. I'm following a handful of, um, I don't actually follow their accounts, but I, but, I, but I click on them enough to the point where the Twitter algorithms bring some of these things to me. And um, I just like to respond to them sometimes. David DeWitt is a writer for the Ohio Capital Journal, the left wing. The the Ohio Capital Journal, for those who don't know, the Ohio Capital Journal makes the Washington Post and the New York Times look like, uh, I I don't know, uh, Atlas Shrugged. Uh, they make they make them look conservative by by comparison. It's 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 hard to it's hard to describe how bad they are. But this uh, Dimwit David Dimwit uh, has been uh, has been tweeting about this ever since the Safe Act was was drafted, the voted on uh, in committee and all the way through to the point where it was passed and and so on and so forth. And he wants you to think that this is the extent of the problem. Last night's uh, tweet. Six kids. John Husted wants to use the full force of Ohio government to bully six kids out of being able to play with their friends. Six kids out of 400,000 student-athletes. Do you see what they do? Do you see the manipulation of what they do? They want you to think since since there are only six uh, boys trying to play on girls' sports teams now, there's no need for the law. There's no need to put this in legislation because it'll always be just those six. And you like how they say that too? They're getting bullied out of being able to play with their friends as if they're going out to the playground. It's competitive athletics. Competitive athletics that do a lot of very important things, things for student-athletes. Competitive athletics that drive boys and girls to push themselves to levels of success through discipline, through hard work, through training, through nutrition, and so on and so forth, to achieve things that can just do amazing things for them, for their self-confidence, not the least of which is to get opportunities to perhaps compete at a high level in college. 
girls are entitled to the very same opportunities in that realm that boys are entitled to. And for boys to then invade into girls' spaces and thus take six girls off of their teams, take six girls today out of their lineups, replacing them with bigger, faster, stronger, uh, physically advantaged boys, is already six too many. But when you're a dimwit like David Dimwit, you think that that's going to be the extent of it. You don't think that if we don't make a law that there aren't going to be six more, and then given the massive growth rate of this trans psychosis that's going on right now in our culture, you don't think six will become 16, will become 60, will become 600 in a blink? Are you paying attention? Gender dysphoria strikes less than one-tenth of one percent of people. And yet, 15 and 20 and 25 percent of classes are declaring I'm the Trump transgendered. So what do you think that's going to turn into? So they're going to continue to lie. They're going to continue to try to advance the notion that conservative Republicans are trying to deny care to vulnerable, potentially suicidal trans kids. No. Conservatives and just reasonable people of any political ideology are trying to save those kids' lives because these idiots want you to think that the kids are suicidal because you won't let them cut them their bodies up. Guess what? They become suicidal after they have. That's the truth. They become suicidal after the adults in their lives failed them, let them destroy their bodies, get mutilated and experimented upon, becoming lifelong patients and customers of the pharmaceutical companies. That's when they become suicidal. And the numbers don't lie. All right, that's the lead today. Uh, it's uh, 9.23. we got a big show coming up in about uh, 10, 15 minutes or so. We're going to talk to Jack Windsor, about uh, 12 minutes, I guess we'll call it, right in the middle. Jack Windsor, Ohio Press Network, will join us. We'll talk about the override today. We'll talk about a couple of other Ohio issues. At 10.10, the border. Mark Morgan. Will join us, former Customs and Border Protection Chief Mark Morgan. Will talk to us about the fact that thousands of students were booted from their schools in New York this morning. They literally were told, "No buses are coming for you. You can't come to school. You're on remote learning today." What? Why? Because we need your school to house thousands of illegal aliens allowed into the United States by Joseph R. Biden. That's why. Mark Morgan will talk about that with us. Jonathan Broadbent at 1035 has been doing great work on unwoke investing. We're going to talk to him. Uh, and then uh, at 1110, John Stover, Ohio Value Voters. We've got a lot of work to do today. Let's do our pledge before we take our first time out. Patriot stand, face your flag, and uh, put your hand on your heart and join us for this. If you believe in carving up children and calling it care, calling it medical care. Uh, Don't even bother wasting your time virtue signaling that you believe in the flag, this country, this culture, our Constitution, and protecting children. Don't even act like you are. Just take a knee over there like the good little Marxist you are. For the rest of us, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands one nation under god indivisible with liberty life liberty and the pursuit of happiness always right radio with bob france 
on The Answer. All right, 933. Good morning to you. Thanks for being with us on this 10th morning of the first month in the year of our Lord, 2024. Mark Morgan uh, coming up at 1010, former chief of uh, Border Customs and Border Patrol, Jonathan Broadbent, John Stover, all on tap for this morning. But right now, let's uh, go to the road, actually. He's on the move today. Uh, he is, of course, the founder and the editor-in-chief of the Ohio Press Network, our good friend Jack Windsor. Jack, good morning. How are you, sir? Bob, I'm super fantastic. Uh, not a lot of snow on the road, so I'm grateful, but it's kind of chilly and uh, a little bit, uh, a little bit of rain in the air. So yeah, but things are well. Drive safely. That's all. That's all I want to hear from you. So, oh, what's that sound? You hear that, Jack? I hear that. that you is- know what I think that is? I think that is the clock ticking. No, 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 no. Although we will detonate if they don't do what they're supposed to do. They're on the clock in the Ohio State House to override Mike DeWine's ridiculous, nonsensible veto of the SAFE Act. Uh, Jason Stevens says he called everybody back today and that they got plenty of votes to do this. Jack Windsor, uh, do you have any idea what the schedule looks like today, when we might see this, and do you expect it to be as cut and dried as people are suggesting? I always expect a little bit of chicanery, right? Um, And what I mean by that, now we look back at House Bill 6, and anyone who's followed House Bill 6, of course, that is is the thing that Larry Householder went to prison for, Um, a lot of the record drops that have happened over the past year and a half. We hear that uh, Lieutenant Governor John Husted was doing what they called battlefield triage, right? He was, he was trying to save it. And uh, so I look at that and I go, well, it seems to me if you follow the money, um, the trans care industry is a $5 billion industry. We have a host of children's hospitals here in Ohio, five or six, I think. Uh, and, and we know that uh, Big Pharma is pushing the trans activism. Uh, so, so this is a money protection thing to me. And so I expect, uh, although insiders tell me that DeWine promised he wouldn't lobby uh, to try to pick off voters, uh, representatives who are voting for on the override, I don't trust Mike DeWine with a House plant, let alone, let alone a significant piece of legislation. So I think that there's probably uh, some lobbying going on. Uh, but the last I heard, Bob, this morning was, I feel good. Uh, that's, that's what Gary Click told me. He said, I feel good about today. I expect that about two o'clock, they will, they'll open their session and this should be at the top of the list. Now, am I correct in understanding that the Senate is not back in session, just the house today? Just the house. Um, my last conversation with Senate leadership was way back last week, which I know that sounds funny, but sometimes things change on a dime. My understanding is the 24th is when they will be back, and they're ready. Uh, That was the answer I got. We're ready. We're going to do it. We're just simply waiting on the House to get it done. Yeah. Well, you know, and I was talking about this before you came on. I get very, very frustrated because I'm an impatient person. This, it's, a, it's a flaw. I admit it, but I'm an impatient person. If Stevens is calling everybody back to do this today, Huffman should have called everybody back to do this today. They could walk it across the chamber and give it to the other side and say, now you do it. Now there's 14 more days. Because yeah. of the grandfather claw, you and I talked about this. Fourteen more days for uh, parents or counselors or whatever to rush to get prescriptions for puberty blockers and say, nope, uh, you know, for their 14-year-old or their 12-year-old or whatever, uh, because it's not outlawed yet until the Senate passes the override as well. So 14 more days for kids yeah. to get grandfathered into this, um, you know, to this uh, barbaric uh, uh, start of a, 
of, of what I can only call, you know, bodily mutilation. It's the start. It's it's pre-op is what it is. These drugs that they get are the pre-op for when they uh, when they actually do the the surgeries. I really appreciate how you bring that perspective, Bob, because one of the things some people are saying is, well, at least the gender mutilation surgeries are off the table. Yes, they are, and that is a positive. However, uh, to your point, for the next 14 days or however many days, assuming that you know they're back on the 24th and the House gets done today at a minimum 14 days, uh, prescriptions can be given. And I, I, want, I want listeners to think about this. Um, when you go through puberty, not only we think about our uh, – uh, sexual organs maturing and, you know, being ready to be adults and reproduce. Well, our brains also uh, go through a significant change. And part of development as an adolescent transitioning into adulthood is brain development. And so you're telling me that we're going to put drugs in kids that sort that. Well, that's a little bit concerning. Uh, and then if your body is hardwired to have more testosterone if you're a male or more estrogen if you're a female, and you're just simply going to dump in more of the opposite hormone, even though your body is hardwired to have more of the other, that's not good either. And to your point, this goes one direction. Eventually, unless they desist or detransition, uh, which does happen, um, they're eventually going to go under the knife. And the thing that is startling, I got a report last week from uh, someone in Cincinnati, and uh, there was a case there, and the court in Cincinnati expressed concern because they talked with a doctor, and this is the doctor that you're probably familiar with, Bob. She's the one caught on video saying that we can recommend children uh, for therapy if there is a high level of anxiety or depression, even without parental notice or consent or involvement. And so um, that doctor is was on record in this court case saying that 100% of the kids who were referred, uh, you know, to be questioned or you know to take the survey, whatever, yeah. for gender care, started the process. So it's really foolish to think, well, not everybody's going to. Yeah, right now, everybody's going to. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. We're talking to Jack Windsor. He is the um, founder, and ch- founder and editor-in-chief of the um, Ohio Press Network, <clears throat> which you should subscribe to online. Um, so, Jack, my follow-up question is, is why do you hate trans children? Yeah, right. Uh, that, is, that is the number one misnomer and so as, as if everyone on this radio station doesn't know, you have great listeners, so they, they understand this. When you engage a radical like that, you have to reframe the conversation. Um, today, Bob, I'm wearing a, a, set, a pair of black jeans and a black top. I don't hate white. I just, I just discriminated and chose black today because black just was what I wanted to wear. I don't hate green shirts. I don't hate blue shirts. I, I just wanted to wear black today. And um, I don't hate trans children. I just prefer to allow all of my kids to go through puberty so that they can fully develop, brains included, and I don't want to put more chemicals in their body that can castrate them or that go against their configuration and ultimately lead to more depression, more suicidal ideation. I actually love kids, and I love trans kids so much that I want the information and the truth and the reality to be out there so that they can actually be protected and not sacrificed at the altar of Big Pharma and hospitals who want to cut their body parts off. You know, um, obviously I was tongue-in-cheek when I say that, but that's the message that we are getting from yep. everybody that that supported the veto and opposes the yep. override. They're saying that people like you and people like me and people like John Husted and people like, uh, you know, some of those who are going to vote today 
um, that that we are denying these very very vulnerable kids in the LGBTQ community, these trans kids, the care that they need. Why are you denying them care? They're calling this, and I think Jack, isn't this ultimately uh, a kind of a dictionary definition battle here? What is care? Is it caring to chemically castrate a child, something that is going to make them sterile, infertile for for the rest of their lives irreversibly? Is it care to cut off healthy body parts because of a a, a psychological condition or even just social and peer pressuring that have made somebody make some really poor decisions before their brains are fully formed? Is it care to do those things to people? I feel like what the override is going to do, what you are talking about, what I am talking about, we are the only ones actually interested in providing care for any of these confused young kids. Yes, and it's really uh, it's startling and, and, and it's, it's heartbreaking when you get beyond the talking points. And I know you do and I know I do, but I wish some folks on the other side would. I had an interview on air with Jamie Reed uh, about two weeks ago. Jamie Reed is a gay woman, I think, uh, she's on the LGBTQ plus spectrum, and I don't say that tongue-in-cheek or disrespectfully. I'm just not sure how she identifies. I know that she's married to a trans man. They have a bunch of kids, and she says she's to the left of Bernie Sanders. Yeah. Well, she worked in a clinic, and she worked there for several years, and the clinic does what clinics in uh, Ohio do that are connected to children's hospitals. They start gender-affirming care is what they call it, uh, which, by the way, that's a misnomer. It's neither gender-affirming nor is it care. And she blew the whistle. She said, look, I have evidence. I have experience with kids who come to us expecting help. And instead, they're all getting the same script. They're all getting the same recommendation. And there are comorbidities, right? There are things that we ignored. It could be depression. It could be autism. It could be other things. But we totally ignored that. And she told me a story that sounds a lot like uh, gender-affirming care is the present-day snake oil. It's going to cure everything, Bob everything for teenagers. And, and of course, uh, clinic, hospitals, and drug companies are going to make a bundle. And that's why I said last week, uh, Governor Mike DeWine, going along with the charade, it's no different than Hamas terrorists using kids as a shield, because that's what we're doing. He's saying, look, if it weren't for this type of care, uh, this kid would have died. Well, we know that that is a mantra that is placed into the heads of, of parents, and they repeat it, well-meaning parents who want some resolve for their kids, but there's no evidence to support that. So, again, we're using kids as a shield to hurt kids and to terrorize kids. And uh, I hope that the House uh, has enough gumption and insight today to do something about that. Yeah, I think that's very well said. We're talking to Jack Windsor. The ACLU is weighed in and calling uh, the governor's ban on trans surgeries, talking about the executive order that he did dangerous for them, but it's healthy for them to go ahead and go through all of these things that you just described. In their mind, it's just uh, it, it's, it's, it's an upside-down world. I want to pivot to another story that is kind of tied to this, because I think you would agree that this social contagion that is uh, just enveloped what you know used to be the number was like less than one-tenth of one-tenth of a percent, I think, of the population suffers from the severe and rare uh, psychological disorder known as gender dysphoria. Now you've got, you know, 30, 40 percent of school classes saying, yeah, my, you know, I'm trans, I'm trans, and I'm non-binary, and I need to, you need to do all of these, these things. Um, where's that social contagion coming from? Largely social media. Online influencers, sometimes celebrities, sometimes just other people who have gone through this and then trying to tell these young kids how wonderful it is. So that brings me to this. 
A federal judge issued an order yesterday temporarily halting the enforcement of a pending law here in Ohio that would require children to get parental consent to use social media apps. Judge Algernon Marbley ruled in favor of NetChoice, a group representing TikTok, Meta, and other social media titans. Ohio, Ohio Concerned Ohio parents um, want to be able to deny their kids access to these things that allow them to have their minds poisoned and groomed and so on and so forth in all of these ways that manifest themselves in the social contagion. What can you tell us? I can tell you that it is a going to be a hotly contested issue. I know that the governor has uh, weighed in and made comments on it. Uh, when I get to the studio today, I'm going to crack my computer open and, and really dive into what his argument is on the matter. But it, to me, it, there are two sides, Bob, and I know that this is not going to be a popular opinion. Um, I think we need to figure out if on what basis the judge made that decision, right? Because I, I want <laughs> – and we have to figure out, is it is it abuse? I am a parents' rights guy, and a lot of people go, well, if you're a parents' rights guy, why don't you let parents uh, use – pills or surgeries for their trans kids. And I say because I, the, being a parent rightfully and legally does not mean that you get to abuse your child. So the same standard, right? As a parent, do I have a right to allow my kid to use social media or does the government have a right to step in and say, no, you don't, and they need your consent? And I say, well, no, I trust my child. Okay, so you kind of get into that argument, right? Is, is this abusive? And I think that, that, you know, you and I would agree that the outcome is negative. Um, my, my plea to parents right now, you know, I, we're in the thick of this. We have kids that are school-aged uh, 13, 11, and 11. So phones, you know, they want to be on social media. As a parent, know what's going on. Uh, if the kid's not mature enough to have a telephone, don't let the kid have a telephone. Uh, and, and, you know, don't let them on social media because we know what, we know what that produces. Um, I'm interested to see how this plays out. I do believe that things like TikTok uh, that certainly are controlled by communist regimes that want to implant uh, dangerous ideologies into the minds of our kids. I think that's reckless. But at the same time, parents also need to stand up and quit being the group of people who say, well, you know, Johnny's doing it, so we should let Sally do it. Um, We're at a critical time where you better do the right thing and not the popular. Yeah, it's a very difficult, uh, you know, the, these waters are, are very difficult to navigate. Um, a quick quote from the judge, foreclosing minors under 16 from accessing all content on websites that the act purports to cover, absent affirmative parental consent, is a breathtakingly blunt instrument for reducing social media's harm to children. So that's the reason why he has, uh, he has, you know, made the decision that he did, uh, ruling in favor of net choice. Uh, but for the parents, let's talk about those waters a little bit here, Jack. I mean, if you're the parent of Johnny and every other parent of every one of Johnny's friends allows their kids to be online, to be on Twitter or to be on Facebook or, or not Facebook, they don't do that at that age. That's for old heads, they call us, uh, uh, Instagram. And and uh, um, Snapchat and all these things. If every kid has it, and that's how kids develop their bonds with one another, and it's how they develop their friendships, and it's how they develop their cliques. And your little Johnny is sitting at the table, uh, and knowing that's what everybody else is doing right now, and he's being left out in the cold. There is real fear for parents that their kid is going to be deprived of socialization opportunities, and that's why they kind of feel the pressure. It's like, okay. 
I'll give you one. But you can only be on it for 30 minutes a day. You can talk to your friends, you know, and they put a limit on their screen time, which is admirable. But inevitably, that becomes an hour, which becomes essentially they just kind of stop checking and the kid is on it all the time. But you, you understand as a parent how hard it is to say to your kid no when you want your kid to have friends. And if you feel like their friendships are all being formed via that little device and uh, that your kid is being excluded from. Yeah, it is a it's a world that you have to navigate as a parent um, that has a lot of different things to consider. And you know, for example, being the parent of a kid that is right in the middle of this, three kids actually, um, you know, social media is one thing, and then oh by the way, they have text messages, and now they have these group text messages, and people are sending things. And wait a minute, what's this number? Who's this person? You know who this is? go, well, wait a minute, how did this number infiltrate this group, you know, text message? Like, so there's just the, the technology that kids have at this age, and I use this analogy with our kids. At some point, you may be able to go to the gym and sit under the bench press bar and bench press 225 pounds or 145 pounds. You can't do it now, not at this age. And if you do get there and you get under that weight and you try to lift it, um, you're going to get hurt. And it's the same thing with technology. I mean, these things are heavy. These are allowing kids access to things and stimulation in their brain um, that they're really not intended uh, to, to deal with at this at this point. And so I don't envy parents because I'm in the middle of it, and I'm the guy who says you've got an hour, and you can do these things, and you can't do these things. And, Bob, by the way, sidebar, uh, it becomes infinitely more difficult if you have a kid that's from a broken home where, you know, Whitney and I are both divorced and remarried. And so we have, you know, we have a blended family and we can do our thing. But guess what? You have no control over what the other parents do. And so now it's, right. you know, you, you, and, and so one kid goes to the other home and maybe there maybe there's oversight, but maybe there's not. And so uh, it's a lot. It's a lot. But I'm telling you, it's worth putting the work in. It's worth protecting the mind of your child because um, they're getting attacked in ideology and worse uh, at, at every level. And so it's time for parents to step up and make sure that they're monitoring and role modeling for their kids exactly what they want. Well, let's hope that as this situation plays out, obviously there's going to be an appeal of that judge's ruling, and we'll see how far it actually goes. But I really do like the idea, the concept, that kids in those preformative years who were so very easily influenced in negative ways, and sometimes maybe uh, shockingly in positive ways, but that's exactly why parents should have a say and should be able to say, kids, you can access this site and this site, but not that site, and here's why. Um, that, that has to be a part of uh, you know the, the way that we, we allow our kids to develop. We cannot just allow them to have rampant, unchecked access to all of these things that are influencing them in so many dangerous ways. Jack Windsor, Ohio Press Network, theohiopressnetwork.com, the Ohio Press Network. Make sure you subscribe to that. Jack, we always appreciate having you on. Thanks for the insight. Override day today. Um, we'll, uh, we'll chat later in the day, all right? Yes, sir. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Jack. That's Jack Windsor. He's uh, monitoring it very closely. He's in the belly of the beast. He's uh, still hosting the Bruce Hooley show uh, down at the Answer Station in Columbus. So he's going to have a much uh, closer, uh, you know, ear to the ground, if you will, uh, to see what's going on. And he's what did he say? Two o'clock? I think he said Seth. Did he say around two o'clock? They expects the vote to be okay. So I don't know what they do between nine and two. I don't know if they have to have you know hearings or if there's statements or motions or whatever to be made, but. Uh, uh, hopefully they do indeed get that done. I'm still a little disappointed that the Senate says, yeah, we're not coming back early. The House can, but we're not coming back until the 24th. Too bad. Uh, and now another 14 days goes by, even if there is an override on the one side today. 
14 days go by and more kids can uh, find themselves, uh, you know, being being pushed toward those puberty blockers. And then once they're in, they're grandfathered in, even after the Senate overrides and it becomes law in, on uh, the 24th. And I hope that's the case, too. You know, I didn't ask any any state reps about that, and I should have asked Jack if they pass the override in the House today and then they pass the override in the Senate on the 24th, is there, like, more time? Is it now 90 days, then that it becomes law? Are we? T- it just seems like everything has to drag out so long so that more damage can be done before the right thing is completed. Just a very frustrating thing. All right. Um, hey, Seth. Um, Real quick, um, I'm looking for something to do this afternoon, and I'm wondering if there's anything entertaining that I could watch on either television or, I don't know, online. Uh, you know, there are some podcasted shows that I'm out there, and I'm looking for something entertaining. Anything you can recommend for me this afternoon around what, maybe 4 o'clock or so? I, I think Joe Rogan's on. Joe Rogan? No, no, I've seen no. Rogan before. No, I'm not, not <laughs> interested in that one. Yeah, I'm looking for something. I'm looking for something different. Something This is a statewide test of the Ohio Emergency Alert System, originating from the State Emergency Operations Center in Columbus. This is only a test. The Ohio Emergency Alert System is designed to provide the public with timely warnings and emergency information. Had this been an actual emergency, you would have received instructions and information related to that emergency over this and other stations in your area. This concludes this test of the Ohio Emergency Alert System. All right. Uh, didn't expect the EAS. Now I'm getting that echo there, too, Seth. Anyway, 4 o'clock, if you can uh, recommend anything for me. Is there a good pos- Somebody told me there was something called the Seth Williams Show that might yeah, have an interesting uh, interesting program today. There is any, a, any the, news on that? The Seth Williams Show is tonight. And, um, yes, I will. Be- I lost a bet. I'll keep it short and sweet. You did? I lost a well, bet. Well, t- didn't your parents ever tell you gambling was, was bad news? But yeah. Uh, you know, I, uh, now you're finding that out, aren't you? I hung around the wrong crowd, if you will. <laughs> What'd you bet? And so I, I bet on the Browns not making the playoffs because I figured they're Cleveland, they're going to screw it up because they suck every year, and then I lost. You so. mean you didn't have faith at the beginning of the year in the Massage King? I did not. I did not. And after watching him throw more passes to the other team, I thought I was, I was golden. <laughs> All right. So you know what? So what? It happens. You lost a bet. Big deal. No big deal. I mean, what's a couple of dollars, right? You're just going to pay off your debt Your your, your debt today? I mean, well, are you going to Venmo? Why do you have to make this on your radio show or your uh, podcast? I bet that uh, if they made the playoffs, I would have to eat a pound of asparagus, which I've never tried. I've never looked at, to be honest with you. <laughs> You've Any, never tried asparagus. No, I'm allergic to anything green, except for iceberg lettuce, which has zero nutritional value. What about mint chocolate chip ice cream? I don't like mint. No, nothing. Oh, <laughs> literally, so you really do green. mean anything green? Yeah, literally. And so, so <laughs> you lost a bet, and you have to eat a pound of asparagus on live stream. Yeah. Uh, the Seth Williams show. A pound. I don't even know how much a pound of asparagus is. I mean, I'm assuming it's a lot, it's like, man. I'm assuming it's like two stalks, right? Like two little things of it. No, no. Well, think about when's the last time you ate a full pound steak, a sixteen ounce steak? You ever go into a restaurant and order sixteen ounce steak? Think think about what a sixteen ounce steak yeah. looks like on your plate. Now make all 
all of that asparagus. <laughs> yeah, I'm not looking forward to that. I, now, I'm assuming <laughs> I, I have some health issues, obviously, so I'm assuming that it's against my health or maybe against my religion to eat this. So, um, Well, if you have to assume whether it's against your religion or not, then you are not serious about your religion, so you got to cross that right, one off. Right. Uh, yeah, and I don't know, man. You're just going to have to uh, stuff it and let, hope it just goes into the uh, into the artificial leg. And, uh... <laughs> <laughs> All right, so how can people watch you suffer through a full pound of asparagus if they are interested? And I am interested. Look up the Seth Williams Show on YouTube, Facebook, Rumble. It'll be all over the place. What time? Four o'clock? Four o'clock. What time do you pick up the fork? Or are you just going to eat a bite with your hands? Billy Morris from the band Warrant will be dropping it off at my house around 4. He will be in my house, actually, and we will be doing it together. I will be eating, and he'll be feeding it to me. I want to see you double-fisting that, man. I want to see you going back and forth and just mowing it. Just destroy it. You know what? It's like when you tell your kid to take a shot of NyQuil or something. Oh, it tastes so bad. You just No, just throw it back. Get it done. Don't sip it, or it's going to make the pain last longer, dude. Seth, just throw it back, man. Just start chomping, and you'll be fine. That's the plan. I'm going to get sick. I know this. The Seth Williams Show. You just heard him. That's going to be an awful lot of fun this afternoon. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Darkness. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420. The answer is your host, Bob France. All right, friends, it is uh, six minutes after 10 o'clock. Thanks for being with us on AM 1420. The answer, it is Wednesday, the 10th morning of the first month in the year of our Lord 2024. Can you imagine getting the call or the text message or the alarm or whatever it is from the school telling you, oh, um, don't put Johnny on the bus today. There will be no bus. Johnny's going to be learning remotely. Well, wait, why? Was there, a, was, there a, was there a power outage at the school? No. Was there a fire? No. Was there a flood? Uh, you might call it that. Your kid has to stay the hell home and learn remotely because we need the school to house a flood of illegal aliens. <clears throat> Allowed into this country under phony asylum claims by the President of the United States, Joseph R. Biden, and the, the Secretary of Homeland Insecurity, Insecurity, Alejandro Mayorkas. Because that's the message that thousands of parents got in, uh, in New York. Today, the kids are home doing COVID-style remote learning, which is to say, not learning at all. Why? Because Eric Adams and the team have to find a way, have to find a place for Joe Biden's guests to stay during the foul weather. And they're going to stay inside the kids' school. Joining us now with reaction to that and so much more of what's going on at that southern border is the former acting chief of uh, uh, Customs and Border Protection, the visiting fellow for Border Security and Immigration Center at the Heritage Foundation, Mark Morgan. Uh, Mr. Morgan, good to have you back. How are you, sir? You too, Bob. Thanks for having me. If you're a dad in New York right now and you're hearing that message, what are you saying? Look, I I think you said it well, Bob. That's why I love coming on your show. It's, it's clearly there's a level of infuriation here. I mean, if you think about it, finally, even the Democrats are, are across the nation are starting to stand up and say, hey, we have a crisis. But, but here's the problem, Bob, is that the solution and the cause, though, is where it starts going off. 
So now I think if you're being intellectually honest, there's no one in the country now that can say that, that what's happening is, is not a crisis, that it's not unsustainable. The issue is, then what's the next part of their sentence? Because if you're even uh, America, uh, Eric Adams, the mayor of New York City and Chicago and D.C. say the same thing is that then when they talk about, well, who's to blame for this? And blame is important here because we've got to uh, focus on the individuals that are causing this intentionally. And that's the Biden administration. And the issue is not to throw more money at cities like New York to manage the crisis and threat after it's already here. It's to take and make sure that we're changing our policy to actually prevent the flow of illegal immigration from actually happening, from actually entering our country, as well as the cascading set of, of, of negative uh, threats that pour in because of it. That's what we should be talking about. Yeah, um, we absolutely should. Now, you saw uh, a contingent last, what, Tuesday, I guess it was, uh, went down to Eagle Pass around 50 or 60. We talked to Jim Jordan about it. He, of course, was among them, and, and the things that they saw – you know, we, we continue to go down there and shine a spotlight, hoping the media will follow, and they do. And it seems like we have almost become numb to this because we've yeah. we've made a lot of journeys down there. We've had a lot of cameras. The Biden administration doesn't want them, but you know the the, the actions of some of these important leaders are, are are successful because we've seen it. But now we see people flowing across the river, uh, waiting across the river rather. We see them, uh, you know, climbing uh, through over barriers, and we see them, you know, going through ports of entry over and over and over again, and in between ports of entry, which is worse. And I almost feel like, Mr. Morgan, we've become numb to it. We have accepted that this is what we are now we're an open borders nation that does not have national security and that does not have national sovereignty doesn't it feel like they've almost made it uh acceptable to us now oh they have i I agree with you think about this the past 36 months we've had over 8 million total nationwide encounters and we're nearing in you know 1.8 plus known godways in just 36 months Mm -hmm. right now if your listeners please they need to understand this Right now, you can illegally enter our border. You can conspire with the cartels to illegally enter in between our ports of entry. I mean, you're knowingly, with intent, committing a crime. Look, I don't care what, what the, the, the end justifies the means argument. I don't care what you do after. The fact is, when you illegally enter in between the ports of entry, that's a crime. And, Bob, to your point, there's zero consequences to that. Zero. We're not holding anybody accountable for violating the rule of law, violating their sovereignty, and committing a criminal act. In fact, we're rewarding them. But here's what's important. The o- I think the only reason why, why, this is, why this is even in the headlines is, is, why, is, is how you started. It's because these cities, uh, that these sanctuary cities, are, are literally being overrun by the invasion-level number of illegal aliens coming across. If that wasn't happening... If Joe Biden was able to throw more U.S. taxpayer dollars at it to, to hide this and to hide the bad political optics, I don't think it would be an issue. Because here's what's important. It's not just about the illegal aliens themselves. Please, when, when, when you see this volume of illegal aliens coming across and being released into the country, guess what is also coming across and being released right next to them? Drugs, criminals, and national security threats. Illegal immigration is not a victimless crime. It pulls resources away from their law enforcement and national security mission. It leaves the border wide open, unmanned, unpatrolled. We literally hand operational control over the cartels who exploit it to push the drugs, criminals, and national security threats. So it's a multifaceted issue that affects every aspect of our nation's safety and national security. 
We're talking to Mark Morgan. Uh, he is the former uh, chief of Customs and Border Patrol. Um, I want you to listen to the guy whose impeachment hearings began today or begin today. There's going to be testimony in front of that committee from three attorneys general from the heartland about the impact of this illegal uh, migration flood in their states, much less the border states. But here's the guy. The majority of all migrants encountered at the southwest border throughout this administration have been removed, returned, or expelled, a majority of them. We are doing everything we can within a broken system to incentivize non-citizens to use lawful pathways, to impose consequences on those who do not, and to reduce irregular migration. That's uh, Secretary Mayorkas. Mr. Morgan, your response. Look, there's two fronts. First of all, think about this. And I don't know. One of the best analogies I can put out right now. Think about it. So if you're an arsonist, right, and you you set fire to a a, a thousand buildings, right, and and then then you help the fire department, right, put out some of them. And you say, but but look, we're, we're, we're actually putting out the majority of the fires that I'm starting, and you claim that is a victory? I mean, that's absurd. I mean, he's been the chief architect of the worst border security crisis in a lifetime. It's his policy and his actions that incentivize illegal aliens from around the world, 180 different countries to come, because he's releasing them into the very United States with zero consequences, never to be heard from again. And because of, of, of he's incentivized the highest level number, it just goes that also you're going to be pushing back more as well. I mean, that, that that's an absurd number. The, the issue we should be focusing on is the number that he's releasing. I mean, he just admitted that right now, right currently, as we're speaking, Bob, the, he is directing CDP, Customs Border Protection, to release 75 to 85 percent of those illegal aliens that are coming in every single day. They're releasing between five to 6,000 every single day. This, the, the last fiscal year, they released over a million in the United States. That's the number we should be focusing on. Do you have a, an estimate of what you think right now the number of illegals, uh, and again, we call them what the law calls them, illegal aliens. Some people want to call them right. undocumented immigrants. Some want to call them asylum seekers, whatever. They're not here legally. Do you know what that number is? For years, we've been told 11 million. You just pointed out we're at around 10 million to 11 million just in the last 36 months. What do you think the real number is? Yeah, I, I think the answer, we honestly don't know. That's the truth. And But, but that should be terrifying for us, right? Again, the, the 8 million total nationwide encounters, they, they were released a, a, a well over half of them into the United States. Plus, another number that people don't realize is is the gotaways, right? I mean, we, we, we are trying our best with respect to the known gotaways, and again, that's around 1.8 million or so just in the past 36 months. But Bob, the, the reality is we don't know what we don't know. I, I, I mean, there, there's an, a, a, the, the chief of the border patrol in the congressional testimony last year said that, that you know, he's, he's comfortable saying that number is underreported by 20 percent. I think it's much higher than that. So every single year we have an exorbitant amount of gotaways that we have no idea. We have people that have stayed, overstayed their visas that are here illegally. We have people that have gone through the entire asylum process and received a court order removal from an immigration judge but still stay in the country illegally. I mean, the numbers are astronomical. Uh, it's really hard to put a number, but I can tell you it's a heck of a lot more than $11 million. Yeah, no question about that. We are talking with Mark Morgan. He's the former uh, acting chief of the uh, Customs and Border Protection. 
Um, we can't do anything unless we militarize the border, which Biden would never do, um, without Mexico's help. President Trump realized that and made the deal uh, for the Remain in Mexico policy. And I don't want to rehash all that ground. You and I have talked about how effective that was. So Biden sends Blinken and Mayorkas down last week to talk to Obrador to say, hey, can you give us a little help on that side of the border? Obrador's response was, not without payment. He demanded $20 billion that they will distribute to Latin American and Caribbean countries, work visas to 10 million Hispanics who have worked in the U.S. for at least 10 years, ending sanctions against Venezuela and halting the blockade of Cuba. In other words, we're going to continue to be a land bridge for the world to flow into your country unless you buy us off. That's what I heard. How do you respond to that demand by Obrador? You're exactly right. It's blackmail. I mean, we're, we're literally letting one of the most corrupt individuals, one of the most corrupt governments in the world blackmail the United States. Think about that. To, to, to do what? To keep the cartels in power, first of all. And that's another focus. And, Bob, I know you and I have talked about that. This is what's frustrating for me, too. I mean, this entire country, United States, we should be united on a common enemy. And that's the cartels that freely operate in Mexico, and they're allowed to operate by the corrupt government in Mexico. And as you said, under the Trump administration, we came from a position of strength. We used that strength to leverage Mexico to step up to do what they should be doing. And now this country, as soon as Joe Biden took office, Mexico went right back to where they were prior to the Trump administration, and they literally are acting as a gateway from, from their southern border, from Guatemala, all the way to the U.S.-Mexico border, and they're, they're greatly profiting as the cartels continue to fill up their bank accounts. And what's frustrating for me is that right now, the numbers are going, since that meeting, the numbers are starting to go down. And my sources are telling me it's because Mexico is actually stepping up, right, to send a message to the United States, hey, we could do this, but it's going to cost you. And if you don't pay, we're going to open up the floodgates again. That's where we're at right now, Bob. That's unconscionable. Mark Morgan, what, what do you make of the Biden administration impeding every effort that the governor of Texas makes down there to try to bring a little bit of this under control? He puts up razor wire. Joe Biden gets it cut down. Then he files a lawsuit to, to, you know, to stop him from putting the razor wire back up. Um, he signed a law, Greg Abbott did, uh, passed by the Texas legislature, allowing Texas police to arrest illegal aliens for being there illegally, making it a state crime in addition to a federal crime. And uh, there's a lawsuit filed by the Department of Justice against the state saying you can't do that. They're, they're lit. I mean, for anybody to suggest this is not intentional, when you see the intentional acts of, of saying remove those buoys from the river, remove the razor wire on the border, and stop telling your cops to arrest these people, let them come in, how can it be seen as anything other than a full-on surrender of sovereignty? I don't see how it can. And you're right. I mean, we were, Bob, we were literally living in an alternate universe right now. As we have, and you start off your monologue, really, this administration took the most secure border in our lifetime, and they intentionally unsecured it. We had a network of tools, authorities, and policies in place, which this administration dismantled. And and it's funny. They claim the same thing, but yet they can't give you a specific example. I can't. The safe third country agreements we had with all three northern triangle countries, this administration dismantled it. As you mentioned, the Remain in Mexico, one of the most successful policies we had to deter and more effectively secure our border, this administration dismantled it. The wall, this administration dismantled it. And so while they're taking proactive measures to actually uh, make our border less secure, 
Governor Abbott from day one has stepped up. He's tried to develop a strategy, which we were doing on the Trump administration, one of deterrence, consequence, and accountability, right, to actually secure, defend, and protect the border. And you just outlined just a few steps that he's taken under Operation Lone Star. And as this government, as the Biden administration is abdicating its constitutional responsibilities under Article 4, Section 4, to secure, defend, and protect our nation's borders, Governor Abbott is stepping up to try to fill that void. And what is this government doing? It's actually said they're actually trying to prevent Governor Abbott from protecting and securing his own borders. They sued they him. refused to do so. Yeah. yeah. The Department yeah. of Justice yeah. sued him for crying out loud. And uh, and he's being accused by, by leftist members of Congress of being a human trafficker for, for taking all of these people who are coming up and moving them to New York and Chicago and wherever else that they can find room for them. Um, so last question for you is going back to the sure. beginning here and what I just described is going on in the schools or at least one giant school with some two to two to 4,000 students. I've heard two different numbers there today being told you are in remote learning. I don't know if that's going to be a day, a week, a month, or whatever it is. Do you think this will have the desired effect that Greg Abbott and others are trying to to bring about here? In other words, make the people so furious about the presence of these illegals in these sanctuary cities that voted for this president and for Eric Adams and people like Brandon Johnson in Chicago and so forth. Will it have the desired effect and make them go to Biden and say, you've got to stop? Yes, look, uh, Bob, because I agree with what you said earlier, too, is that unfortunately, to some degree, we become numb to the numbers, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. uh, 30, 30 days ago, right? I, I mean, listen, 30 days this past month, we were, we were uh, having uh, 12,000 total encounters just on the southwest border, and it barely makes a blip. So we become numb to the numbers. So it's about the action. So, yes, not my answer to the question is yes, but I think it's, it's been having the impact for the past year. I think that's the only reason why you have some of the mainstream media now is starting to pay attention is because Democrats now, these Democrat-led cities, are starting to, to, to cry foul, right, and, and, and scream, hey, we're, it's out of control. But real quick, if I can, I know we got to go. Think about this, though. Mm-hmm. Governor Abbott has only, has only transported uh, maybe 60, 70, 80,000. I think maybe, maybe it could be uh, close to 100,000 told, right, in 36 months. Think about this. And, 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 but what people don't understand, what people are not talking about, the Biden administration – has transported millions, millions throughout the entire nation. They're just doing it under the cover of darkness, and they're using a Ponzi scheme by taking U.S. taxpayer money and giving it to non-governmental organizations, NGOs, who then are providing bus tickets and train train tickets and airplane tickets and, and, and transporting illegal aliens every single day, all day long. But we never talk about that. No, we, of course, never talk about that. Mark Morgan, I, I know you're working very, very hard and uh, trying to shine a light on all of this. Obviously, there's no easy answer until we actually get some commitment from the Biden administration to change some policies there. Maybe it'll come in the form of the negotiation for aid and subsidies to foreign countries. I don't know what it's going to take, but but I know you're on top of it. We really appreciate you sharing your insights with us. You bet. Thanks, Bob. Thank you. Mark Morgan, uh, he is, again, former chief of Customs and Border Protection. He is uh, He's one of the good guys, and um, he was one of the guys who helped establish the policies during the Trump administration that actually did indeed cut down on some of this massive invasion that we continue to suffer from right now. All right, we'll take a short time out here. This is a good chance for you to hit them where they ain't. I've got another guest, Jonathan Broadbent, at 1035, so hit them where they ain't. Make your call now uh, between... Formed among the uninformed. Always write radio with Bob France on The Answer. So how about this? Hunter Biden has made an appearance. After defying his subpoena to testify before the Oversight Committee last month, uh, and instead 
setting up shop outside across the street with a, uh, uh, you know, just basically a, uh, a little mini press conference, kind of a grandstand type of thing, kind of thumbing his nose at uh, the Republicans on the committee. Uh, they were meeting today to discuss holding in, him in contempt of Congress, which could carry a one-year prison sentence. Hunter Biden is an, and his attorneys shockingly showed up at the meeting today to consider the resolution that if passed would set up a full house vote on whether or not to hold him in contempt and again potentially jail him for a year so is he there to try to cut a deal is he now going to say okay i'll testify i'll agree to the deposition not exactly sure but he was not expected to be there according to this report from fox and he showed up uh shocking everybody so uh, we'll keep you posted on that. Um, we talked, obviously, to Jim Jordan about that on uh, Monday, and he literally told me that we are coming quickly to move on contempt charges against him. I didn't know it was going to be this quick today. Uh, and uh, Hunter Biden apparently is, uh, well, they now have his attention, let's put it that way. All right. Thanks again to uh, Mark Morgan. Great conversation. We spoke with Jack Windsor in hour number one. If you missed that, check both those out on the podcast page. About an hour after the show ends today, you'll see it at whkradio.com, as you will hear this one that we're about to have with Jonathan Broadbent. Jonathan Broadbent is the founder of Unwoke Investing, and he is... uh, he is one of the most dialed-in individuals that I know when it comes to the problems in our schools, as well as corporate America and the threat of DEI, CRT, and so much more. Jonathan Broadbent, good to have you back. How are you, sir? Good morning, Bob. Thanks for having me back on. So episode 53, just a couple of days ago, you did uh, um, uh, your, your, your commentary was on identity politics and how to never again, kind of an interesting way to, to clip the title right there. I watched a portion of it, not the entire thing, and I want to give people maybe the thumbnail version of what identity politics means when it comes to unwoke investing and what you are trying to warn people from. Well, there are several components of what we're facing here. They, um there's, there's something called the Corporate Equity Index, which controls um, the – the. Um, sorry, I'm shifting gears here because actually I thought, Bob, we were talking about a later episode, and I have a bunch of notes in front of me from the one that focuses on lawyers. We can do – well, you know, all of your episodes are good, so no, we can absolutely do that. That that was the one that I thought that I had mentioned to you uh, when I when I asked you to come on today, but but that's okay because I'm very interested in the identity politics aspect of this, but, but we can absolutely talk about the others as well. Go ahead. Well, I have a favor to ask, then. Why don't we come back to that one because there's a lot to talk about on identity politics and the whole idea of we're, we are our brother's keeper. That's, that's the premise behind – uh, identity politics and never again, mm-hmm. and that episode 53. But mm-hmm. shifting gears to 54, to 54 on uh, the role of lawyers, let's we got to sort of step back occasionally and take a look at. Sorry, I'm finding myself out of breath this morning. I worked out a few hours ago and now I'm, I'm uh, still a little bit out of breath. So <laughs> yeah, well, I try and stay in shape. So. The, let's face it, lawyers are bullies by design and intention and training. And we know that a lot of these left-leaning universities, they're pumping out lawyers that lean left heavily. And that influence shows itself. And one of the things I spend a lot of time doing is looking for uh, sort of the traits and uh, the attack vectors, if you will, of the left. Lawyers are playing a big role in this. It's called lawfare. If, if, if you haven't heard about it yet, uh, listeners, you should. Take a look at what's happening 
in our court systems all across the country. We saw it a, a few weeks ago in uh, the Colorado Supreme Court <clears throat> trying to remove uh, President Trump from the ballot. Bob, just as a side note, you were kind enough to have me on. There's a letter that I created to push back against Colorado uh, for all of your listeners who responded to me, thank you. That's actually on hold because that's been kicked up from Colorado Supreme Court to the to the uh, U.S. Supreme Court. We're sitting on hold, but a lot of people are pushing back on that. But here's the premise behind what's happening with law lawyers and lawfare. They're bullies, and at a certain point, we the people need to be willing to stand up to bullies. And there's, I'm just going to share with you really quickly an experience that I had that sort of informs a lot of the fight that's within me. I had occasion as an elementary school kid to stand up to a bully who was picking on a small kid. There was a guy in our class who was smaller than all the other boys, and people used to pick on him. And there was a bully who got him to crying. This kid was crying, and I, I just suddenly set everything aside. I'm not particularly big. I don't bully people, but I, I had enough. I got in this guy's face and pushed him away and told him enough. That that experience and the look in his eyes, because he, very few people would stand up to him. He was a bully. He was everyone. That's was how they operate. Of, yeah, they they trust that nobody's going to stand up to them. That's their entire mo. That's in, completely their entire mo. But the, having that experience and seeing the look in his eyes of shock that I was willing and I had the audacity to stand up to him. That informed a lot of the things that I do in my life, including standing up to lawyers. It can be terrifying. You can have your heart in your throat and not know what you're doing and, and be very fearful, and that's what they rely on. And now when I look at all these things that we're fighting, when I look at and listen to the comments of school board members who are told specifically if they try to stick with what they believe is right, that the lawyers won't back them up, that they will be personally liable. I'm hearing that from a lot of school board members. I'm hearing from people who work in healthcare that if they weren't pushing the shots, if they talked about ivermectin or quercetin or vitamin D or health habits or a natural immunity, that the lawyers in the hospital wouldn't continue to, to support and back them up, that their insurance wouldn't support them and back them up. They were getting all these threats. And so it occurred to me, and I put the, together this episode 54, that lawyers can and do steer people away from certain things and towards certain things. But here's the crazy thing. A lot of what's happening, a lot of what we're seeing is completely not only counterintuitive and defies all logic, but in the case of, I'm going to use school boards as a, as a reference, there are lawyers who were pushing and telling schools that if they didn't allow boys and girls' bathrooms, that they would be in violation. And there were letters and things. I have copies of them from these law firms. It's completely untrue. We know from, from federal Title IX protections, and we know from what's referred to as the Shea Resolution uh, from Ohio, there were actually letters that were sent out from the Ohio Department of Education informing all, what is it, 613 school districts in the state of Ohio that that's not actually a law. You don't have to require that, or you don't have to allow boys and girls bathrooms. And yet there are these law firms that were effectively treating their statements to school boards as a, a threat. They were threatening these school boards that if they didn't allow boys and the girls bathrooms, 
um, that they would be in violation. Completely untrue. So what what my my premise of that episode is, if you're on a board or if you own a business, uh, and actually I'm going to give another example right there. If you own a business, think about what happened with Bud Light. That's the parent company is Anheuser-Busch. Mm-hmm. Somebody came along and suggested that they needed to have a um, a, um, a what is the current word we're supposed to use? Not transvestite, but a cross-dressing male as yeah as as their mascot. That was ridiculous. At a certain point, on a board or in a small business or wherever you are in life, if we're seeing this attack from the left, the left intends to take over effectively all facets of life. Our um, publishing schools healthcare, certainly the world of finance. The world of finance, it's it's actually called economic warfare. If anybody not familiar with it, there is an actually an economic war room that one of the uh, directors of that was my guest on Unwoke a few weeks ago, Michael Carter. Um, But there is intention to take over all these things. And the army that's, that's doing it or trying to do it is lawyers. And what I really want to encourage people to do is is take that step and stand up to them. Sometimes, yes, it, it does, especially if you're in business, it does take hiring the lawyers in and fighting back, and then hopefully you can recoup your, your expenses. But sometimes it's just as simple as knowing your rights and knowing the truth. Like in those instances with school boards, I wish more school boards in those cases where we had um, – lawyers sending out messages encouraging schools to allow boys into the girls' bathrooms and vice versa. I wish more school boards had the wherewithal and tenacity to stand up to them and push back and and ask them the simple question, point to the law that tells me I have to do that. Because then suddenly you, you, anybody, any school board member anywhere, can quickly stand up to the bully tactics of these lawyers and law firms. But all too often, I think there's fear. There's this sort of assumption of, of great assumed knowledge. And we, we saw that fall apart in the world of healthcare with doctors. Suddenly, we just realized that doctors are following orders. And a lot of those orders come from these law firms who are dictating via all the money that pumped in from pharmaceutical. We saw that whole marketplace, the trust collapsed in that. And I think at a certain point, and I think actually that point is long long past, but the more I can encourage people to stand up to the bullies in whatever that environment is. And I'm I'm facing it now. I've got I'm in month twenty two of weaponized regulators. I've got regulators who have been quote unquote examining my company since right around when I started pushing back against mask mandates for children and mm-hmm. jabs and started coming out against ESG and CBDC and all that stuff. So it's it's part and parcel. It's part of the munitions. It's if you will, of the um, of the the militant tactics of the left to take things over. And just like other bully circumstances, the more you allow, the the more you sort of cave and allow the bully to pressure, the further they're going to go. And just like negotiating with terrorists the worst your life is going to get. That's the premise that I'm working under to really encourage people to take a look 
at the lawyers and law firms. One more thing, Bob. Mm-hmm. I've gotten uh, the names of some law firms that I believe have behaved egregiously in certain circumstances. And you know, I'm probably involved in more of these fights than I should be. My wife is fond of saying that I'm, I'm not good at saying no. <laughs> you, know, you are more than willing to engage in these battles. Sometimes you pick them and sometimes you respond to them. When you say that these uh, firms you're talking about right now, uh, you know, uh, are, are, are in, I don't remember exactly how you phrased it, uh, but that are more culpable than others, based on what? So at, at, a, at a certain point, it really just takes the willingness to read a few documents or to uh, engage other people who specialize in an area of marketplace. So let's say, for instance, uh, I'm using my area of expertise. I'm, I'm known as an ERISA subject matter expert. That's an area of, of law that governs part of finance. And for decades, I'm one of those people in the country that people would come to with questions about what's reasonable. Well, we see certain behaviors now. Hopefully you follow me on this. But there's a push within financial markets to accept and adopt ESG. By the way, that stands for environmental, social, and governance. It's one of those manipulative tools of the left that sounds good on paper, but it's really harmful and destructive. So there's a push to adopt it. And it's easy for people to look at that and say, oh, well, environment is good and social and governance what harm could befall us? Let's just go ahead and roll along with that. Well, I want to go back to all of the the existing standards <clears throat> and what works and what doesn't work. And there are huge bodies of law around what we can and cannot do in the world of finance. And that ESG thing violates all of them. There really is no justifiable reason. So that is an example of somebody like me stepping into the fray and challenging back, I'm not going to, and, I'm, and I don't, you know, the name-calling uh, shtick of the left. As soon as I step in, uh, I'm anti-LGBTQ, and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm anti-this, and I'm racist, or whatever kind of nonsense they're going to throw. No, I want solid foundational history. We're, if we have a 200-year history of t- treating financial markets a certain way, and you want to just change all of that because it's sl- slapped a label... I don't, I don't care if it is the senior practicing partner and law director of the largest law firm on the planet. I will sit there and ask them to cite their reasons and reasoning. And the more people that take that wherewithal, call a friend. It's like that, uh, that game show, call in a friend. Yeah, who wants to be a millionaire? Yeah, you get to phone a friend, yeah. Phone a friend, whatever your circumstance is. If you are... If you're a little uh, garage, if, you, if you're a car mechanic, if you are a barber shop, anything, we saw it with masks and masking. And there are some places, actually, and I know some around here, there's a bar restaurant not far from me. The entire COVID, they never mandated masking. They just simply called the bluff, and they stood up against them. I think that was a lot of the kind of the psychology <clears throat> behind why that masking thing happened. They wanted to see, some bad actors wanted to see how far they could push us and how willing the American public is to cave, to give in to bullies. And there are some people that stood up, and they did it really successfully. There was a gym in New York that's now famous 
uh, that that stayed open. I remember just, that. Yeah, that was New Jersey, maybe, but I remember the one you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, they, uh, that guy. I'm sorry, it was yeah, right. Big long, beard, big long beard guy. I don't remember the name of the gym, but he was a hero in that whole thing. It takes that courage, you know. Like you said, all these people are afraid to stand up. <clears throat> when lawfare is threatened against them, which is, of course, the point of all of this. But but there are examples of people who did, and hopefully they will, just like criminals are emboldened when crimes are not being punished and prosecuted and cops can't do their job, I hope people are emboldened by people like that, the individual you're talking about right now, and people like you, quite frankly, Jonathan, because it does. It takes courage to put yourself out there and to maybe even put your own reputation, and if you're a business owner or an entrepreneur, to put your you know, your, your business on the line at risk to do what is right. Well, yeah, thank you for that. And there are two pieces to that. One is from the vantage of the person who is being attacked in that way, who has the lawyers attacking them, Yes, heck yeah. It's really uncomfortable. Uh, it is no place uh, that I would uh, that I would want anybody, my worst enemy, to suffer through. But keep in mind, it only gets worse. As soon as you cave, they will keep pushing and keep attacking until you're gone and you're dead, basically. They, they, and by dead in this go-around, I don't so much mean the physical death, that resulted uh, in prior wars. This is a new type of warfare. This is what they refer to as fifth-generation warfare. What they're doing is bankrupting people. They're taking people out of the equation, not by uh, by gun and bullet and gas chamber. They're taking people out of the equation by bankrupting. So you see it with the attacks on on um, uh, and, um, the uh, suddenly drawing a blank on the former uh, mayor of New York and Rudy Giuliani and uh, Trump and all of these people who are pushing back against the far left woke narrative. The attacks are, are relentless, but they only get worse if you don't stand up to them. The other perspective that I want to encourage people to consider is we are our brother's keeper. And there's that expression, and this actually ties into the, the one that you, the earlier episode you, you originally mentioned. At a certain point, we have to be willing to acknowledge what's happening to the people around us. You can't turn a blind eye, and I see it on social media all the time, like, oh, yeah, Rudy Giuliani got what was coming to him. Or, well, gosh, it's terrible that that happened to Rudy Giuliani. And um, I think Peter Navarro, all these people have been attacked and vilified and and accused of things. And uh, at, at a certain point, we have to be willing to see what's happening to the people around us and also try to fight for the 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 uh, person next to you or the person down the street of that small business mm-hmm. and when it comes to and i made this comment on that colorado supreme court thing in the letter that i wrote i don't care we need to have foundational rule of law and it's not so much that that involved trump i don't care who was on the ballot and who is being attacked and trying to be uh, the state Supreme Court is trying to remove. I don't care personally if it was uh, Bernie Sanders or Nancy Pelosi or AOC. They absolutely have every right to be on a ballot Agreed. until unless they are actually found guilty of something. That's simple well, rule of law, and we need to be willing to step in and and stand up for anybody 
and everybody. Just like that little kid you talked about that uh, you know that you that you stood up for, and that's exactly what it takes. It does. There's no question about it. Jonathan, we're out of time here for today. I'll tell everybody again. This was mostly a conversation about uh, the awful role of lawyers, which you did on episode 54. Episode 53 is about identity politics. We'll come back and talk about that another time. But uh, I encourage okay. people once again to uh, listen. Where can people uh, catch the uh, uh, the uh, unwoke uh, podcast? It's unwoke academy. Unwoke.academy. There it is. Jonathan Broadbent, thank you for the work that you do. Thanks for teaching people how to stand up for the little guy. We all have to do that together. No question about it. We appreciate you. Thank you, Jonathan. Thanks, Bob. All right. We'll take a time out now at 1056. Holy cow. Things are happening at that committee hearing in which they were going to discuss the um, the uh, contempt of Congress against Hunter Biden. Hunter Biden showed up unexpectedly with his lawyers. Then he was attacked by Nancy Mace, among others, who said he has no um, onions, except she used a different word. And then reporters were asking him questions as he stormed out, including, what kind of crack do you smoke, Mr. Biden? This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and KeepingMedicareSimple.com. You and I know... And do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. This is Always Right Radio with Bob Frantz on AM 1420, The Answer. All right, it is indeed. <laughs> um, let me get to the breaking news and a little bit of the audio uh, before I bring in our guest, John Stover, to talk about what's going on in uh, Columbus right now and Mike DeWine uh, being uh, overridden probably and hopefully very soon by the Ohio House. And we're going to talk about whether or not DeWine circumvented state law um, with uh, John Stover. That's coming up. But as I mentioned before the top of the hour, Hunter Biden made an unexpected appearance at the um, committee hearing today in which um, they were going to consider, in the Oversight Committee, holding him in contempt of Congress for defying his subpoena from last month. So he shows up, and he's greeted by Representative Nancy Mace, among others, with... um, I, I don't even know how to describe it. I probably shouldn't just describe it. I'll just let I'll just let you hear it. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, uh, Chairman Comer. Um, first of all, my first question is who brought Hunter Biden to be here today? That's my first question. Um, second question, you are the epitome of white privilege coming into the oversight committee, spitting in our face, ignoring 
a congressional subpoena to be deposed, what are you afraid of? You have no balls to come up here and... M Mr. Chairman, point of inquiry. <laughs> Mr. Chairman, um... If the lady She said what she said, and she was not done. Take him to jail, Nancy May said. But Hunter Biden, you are too afraid to show up for a deposition. And you still can't today. Um, I believe that Hunter Biden should be held completely in contempt. I think he should be hauled off to jail right now. Um, it got better from there. When Marjorie Taylor Greene was recognized, that's when Hunter said, okay, I have had enough. Listen, or, or just, I guess you'll have to listen. I've got the visual, but I'll just have to give this to you. Hunter storms out after this moment. Gentlemen, time's expired. Chair, recognize Ms. Green from Georgia for five minutes. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, excuse going? me, Hunter. Apparently, you're afraid of my words. Whoa! Oh! Like to reclaim my time, Mr. If he thought he was going to escape the um, the questions, he was wrong because then he got stopped in the hallway with his attorney, where several um, reporters had questions for him. I want to share this one with you, if I can, here, before we move on, just because this is, well, it's just all kind of outstanding, quite frankly. Let me see if I can bring this one up. Nancy May, or I'm sorry, Hunter Biden storming out and being asked. Yeah, I think I have it here. Hold on. Here we go. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, excuse me, Hunter. Apparently, you're afraid of my words. Uh, here <laughs> Oh. I'd like to reclaim my time, Mr. Chairman. Wow, that's too bad. <laughs> I think it's clear and obvious for everyone watching this hearing today that Hunter Biden is terrified of strong conservative Republican women because he can't even face my words as I was about to speak to him. What a coward. And this is also a coward that sat right here in front of me. Could you please, I'll answer your question if you be quiet and let me make a statement, okay? How crack do you normally smoke, Mr. Biden? Let me start again. Hunter Biden was and is a private citizen. I don't know the name of that reporter when he got out into the hallway, but I wish I did, and I'm sure soon we will, because he asks it again. Well, despite this, Republicans have sought to use him. If you can't hear him over the microphone, because he's off mic, the reporter said, what kind of crack do you normally smoke, Mr. Biden? And then he asked again, what kind of crack do you use, Mr. Biden? I don't know if there are flavors or brands, but it's as good a question as any. So Hunter, who sp literally, I think Nancy Mace is right, spit in the face of the committee back when uh, he was subpoenaed to testify in a deposition uh, about his tax situation and perhaps where that leads to some of the 10% for the big guy and everything else. He held that press conference, that grandstanding press conference instead. Now he shows up at the contempt hearing and then storms out when he has to take an earful or two from apparently the only kind of women he doesn't like, women who are clothed and who are intelligent and who don't let them him snort crack off of their bodies uh, in front of a camera in a hotel room. So there you go.
That's Hunter Biden. That is the Biden uh, family name on display for all of the world to see, and we will keep you updated on this as we go. But as it is now, 1112, I'm two minutes past my start time with John Stover, so I don't want to waste any more time. Let's bring in John Stover, who is the president of the Ohio Values Voter Organization, uh, Value Voters, I should say, organization, which is one of the most important conservative uh, groups in the state of Ohio. Uh, John, it's good to have you back. How are you? Doing well, Bob. Thank you for having me. You know, it's certainly uh, your last segment here you just played a few seconds ago. It's the, it certainly appears that uh, Hunter has come out of the witness protection program that the <laughs> Justice Department and the FBI has had him in for all, the, all this time. That's very well said. That's exactly what it does seem like. Uh, I don't know where that's going to go from here, but it's going to be uh, it's going to be awfully interesting to watch. Hopefully, the chickens are starting to come home to roost for uh, Team Biden, uh, but we'll see where that goes. So, John, um, obviously it's an important day today. Uh, the uh, House uh, has come back early. They were supposed to come back on the 24th. They came back on the 10th. They were called back by Speaker Stevens, so I'll give Stevens credit for it's due. I don't give him a lot of credit for a lot of things, but uh, this was a good thing. And today they are likely going to override Mike DeWine and his veto of the Saving uh, Adolescents from Experimentation Act, or the SAFE Act, as well as Save Women's Sports. So I want to get your thoughts on that, and then we're going to talk about the statement that you and OVV put out about Governor DeWine circumventing state law. But your thoughts on today's potential override well you know just before coming on air with you bob i had text with uh, representative click as you know uh, representative click is the uh, primary sponsor of house bill 68 the safe act which will uh, keep children from being uh, under the knife of mutilation surgery because of this gender dysphoria that just has swept our country including the state of ohio but i did ask the question to gary i said gary uh, uh, do you have the votes and he just replied with one word yes so, um, you know, I, I would say this, that uh, normally before uh, the House, Senate, whether it's Columbus, Washington, or any other state uh, general assembly, you know, they have a uh, uh, position that's called the whip. And as you know, this individual is responsible for determining if the votes are there before they bring something up. Right. And uh, I, I feel comfortable that uh, this is going to uh, be overridden, and it should be. Uh, where the governor was at on this is beyond me. Yeah, well, you know, just the uh, the double standard that he set for himself is what made it so frustrating. And Oga, uh, Representative Click and I talked about this, too. He said literally, and jo- uh, Representative Josh Williams <clears throat> from uh, the Toledo area, <clears throat> excuse me, focused on this, too. He said in his veto, he said that the government shouldn't be substituting its judgment for the uh, two people who love the child the most, which is the parents. They should be able to make this decision. And then a week later, he issued his executive order saying the government gets to make the decision as to whether or not the uh, the kid get kid uh, gets surgery, even if his parents want it. So, you know, the hypocrisy there is very, very deep, and I don't know how he justifies that. Uh, you know, I have no idea as well, Bob, but, uh, you know, you're right. It was... Uh... Definitely, uh, um, you know, it seemed as if the, uh, you know, the old cliche, you know, what was the governor smoking at the time? I, I, I don't know. It, um, you know, it's certainly uh, mind-boggling. Uh, you know, I've had a couple of um, reporters ask me regarding the uh, situation as it relates to, uh, you know, the SAFE Act and, you know, taking care of, uh, you know, transgender, transgender children and so forth and, and basically, I've stated to him, I said, look, you know, the person that you need to really hear from, and we have it out there under the um, uh, e-blast that we had going throughout the entire state from Ohio Value Voters. Anybody that goes to our website, ohiovaluevoters.org, on the right-hand side, you can see what we put out. And we have the video of Chloe Cole, who uh, basically was on Fox News a couple of weeks ago, and she said, 
basically everything that needs to be said. You know, at 13 years of age, uh, her parents put her on uh, blockers, you know, uh, gender blockers. And then at 15, she had her breast removed. And here she's transitioned back now to being a female. And mm-hmm. uh, she basically referred to it as being child mutilation. She said that, uh, you know, there is a uh, such thing as, you know, parents uh, not treating their children well and, um, you know, and doing the wrong thing for their children. She said, you know, I, I should have had uh, psychological help on this. And, um, you know, so. Well, and she's yeah, one of only, she, she's one of a growing and, and, and I mean, very quickly growing group of uh, people who have made that mistake and then come to regret it. And again, it's irreversible. And then all they can do, since they can't change themselves back, they can try to, you know, undo the damage and change the hormones as much as they can, but it's irreversible. So all they are trying to do is warn others, don't make the same mistake we made. <clears throat> Excuse me, don't. Put yourself in a position, and parents don't let your kids make these these awful decisions when they're in their young, preformative years, because they're going to come to regret it once they realize, once they're adults, what they've done to themselves. So, Chloe Cole is a is is one, like I said, of many, and I'm and I'm glad to hear uh, that that very important voice. Um, so, John Stover of Ohio Value Voters, let's get to uh, the statement that you put out uh, about Governor DeWine circumventing state law, bringing. A radical California program called the Child Mind Institute transforming American lives to, I'm sorry, children's lives, beg your pardon, transforming children's lives here to the state of Ohio. What's going on, John? Well, you know, let's uh, get a little bit of history first, Bob, on what transpired here over the last, um, well, I would say last year. The prior General Assembly uh, attempted uh, in the Senate to uh, began a bill that would uh, basically give the governor uh, all rulemaking authority as it relates to education. Our organization was opposed to it. Ultimately, this session, it came up as Senate Bill 1. Senate Bill 1 was uh, passed by the Senate and by the House, and uh, our organization and I specifically dealt with the two chairmen of the House and Senate Education Committees, um, uh, House Representative Adam Byrd and uh, State Senator uh, Brenner. And basically, you know, I, I said, look, I said, you want to transfer authority over to the governor of all rulemaking authority regarding education. And, uh, you know, you don't have enough measures in place that it's going to be transparent. There's going to be public meetings held. And, you know, you're going to have um, the, um, uh, the ability to have someone to provide oversight to overturn a radical program potentially that would be brought in by the administration, the governor's office. Mm-hmm. And uh, I have to say, Bob, the uh, and what we put out yesterday relative to uh, the matter, there were uh, three chapters of the Ohio Revised Code that was pointed out. And some of these chapters, they, uh, they did just that. I have to give the General Assembly credit. They have the ability to overturn a, a specific program that would be so radical, whether it's a Republican governor who acts like a Democrat, or it's an actual Democrat governor that we may have in the future. The General Assembly can basically pass a resolution and get rid of that program, whatever it might be. There's also public meetings required. There's a number of things that they ended up doing that provides transparency. Well, it it was uh, basically the language, Bob states, K through 12, K through 12. Mm -hmm. The governor comes in with this program with uh, Child Mind Institute, which is ex- extreme from what we can see, radical organization promoting CRT, CSC, et cetera. And, uh, you know, they're going to start now dealing with minors 
that are, when I say minors, I'm talking about pre-K, that are uh, basically, they state, uh, this is a quote from their website, children may start to question their gender identity as young as two or three years of age when they become aware of the notion of gender, and they may assert, no, I'm a boy, or no, I'm a girl. I mean, what kind of nonsense is this? Well, just to add to that, John, if I may, just to add to that, this is a different story, but not only are they saying that children as young as two or three years old can can question whether or not they're boys and girls, going back to CRT, and you mentioned SEL and so forth, but uh, academics and activists um, are teaming up to create a guide that teaches critical race theory to these young children because they are also racist as young as three years old. Not only can they be transgender and not believe they're a boy or girl at three, they can exhibit racial bias. This is a program called Reflections on Children's Racial Learning, encouraging an organization called Embrace Race uh, to teach CRT to young pre-K children to get the racism out of them early. John, uh, I, I, I guess I wouldn't be surprised if this is something that Mike DeWine wanted to bring to Ohio along with the rest of this, but go ahead. Well, you know, you, you touch upon another point of this uh, Child Mind Institute, uh, Bob, and that is that uh, information I just sent you today. Mm-hmm. Basically, another area, they uh, basically are, uh, you know, they, they mentioned, you know, regarding white families. They state that they can make a concentrated effort to represent racial diversity and the products they buy for the children. And then they give an example that, uh, you know, if you're dealing with a uh, two- to three-year-old girl, you can look at uh, purchasing black dolls that feature kids of color. And, uh, you know, you can start talking about, uh, you know, some of these things with your children to uh, let them know that, you know, black people are uh, taken advantage of and so forth. It's, it's once again. It's In other words, right teaching the, the children, the teaching the teaching the white children to be ashamed of their white skin because they are guilty Absolutely. of taking advantage of the people with the darker skin. That's that's essentially what this messaging is. Um, I'm I'm blown away by some of this stuff from this Child Mind Institute, including the race. But I'm looking up, John. Can you tell us about the part that you circled in red? Um, uh, talking uh, talking about sex and consent. Yeah, well, that's um, that's another one uh, that they have here, Bob, that uh, basically, you know, they need to start teaching their children relative to uh, consent. And, uh, you know, we see this in the schools today. You know, a, a, a lot of this, uh, you know, it, it, it started back, unfortunately, in Ohio in 2019. And a lot of people are not uh, real, real familiar with uh, social-emotional learning. And uh, this is... This is actually a Trojan horse that's bringing in, you know, CSE, DEI, CRT. And, you know, DeWine has brought this into our schools. He's also set up basic health clinics, basic health clinics in the schools to deal with, you know, mental health and that type of thing. You know, and uh, the, the concern that I have, as many parents have, and by the way, I should say that this information that regarding the Child Mind Institute, this was a whistleblower that came to us. I would say that uh, our organization of Ohio Value Voters Protect Ohio Children, we're the clearinghouse of all people that find information regarding our state. And I, I didn't know that the governor created a video with uh, one of the leaders of my Child Mind Institute, basically talking about what a great program this would be. But, um, you know, this came to us. But getting back to SEL, this is something that that they are bringing into 
the state of Ohio. A lot of people don't know what this is all about. And this coming Monday, January 15th at 1 p.m., Protect Ohio Children, we're hosting our monthly webinar to expose SEL. And uh, we have Marsha Metzer, the president of Parents on the Level. This is a um, Child Protect Child Health Coalition is a nationwide organization that uh, my wife and I have been involved with for a number of years. And, uh, you know, we're doing, they're doing their part uh, to expose social-emotional learning and what this is all about and uh, how the education is, is um, you know, through this bait-and-switch and keeping information away from the parents, et cetera, you know, that uh, they're, they're attempting to indoctrinate children relative to. And, you know, Bob, think about it. Two- or three-year-old, and how in the world you know, is a two- or three-year-old going to start questioning whether they're a boy or they're a girl? It's, it's ridiculous. It, it really is. But it's yet, it's, it's the, the word that they hate, that John. The, the word that they hate when we de- use it to define this is the accurate one. It's, it's grooming. It is grooming a child right. into a mindset that they otherwise would not have, literally from the time when their, their brain synapses are starting to fire and their formation is starting to begin. It is literally trying to brainwash them or, or manipulate their, you know, their mental and cognitive abilities uh, from the very start. It's, uh, that's exactly what it is. It is grooming for the purposes of, of turning them into something else when they get older. Well, well, getting back to, uh, I think, your original question, I don't know if I covered it entirely, but you had asked, you know, how did uh, the governor circumvent the law? Well, the governor circumvented the law, once again, because of the fact that the code that was passed, which is law, has to do with, you know, there's a deputy director of uh, K-12 through and workforce development, and then there's going to be two deputy directors appointed soon. And those deputy directors are going to be K through 12 and workforce development and uh, under the governor's office. Well, the fact is, is that the fact that he turned this pre-K is that he avoided all of the laws that were put in place relative to the passage of Senate Bill 1 last year. That's how he ended up circumventing the law. But yet, I firmly believe that this is an opportunity to bring this Child Mind Institute into the state of Ohio, which, once again, this is something that was embraced by Gavin Newsom in state of California, uh, state of New York, you know, and, of course, we know where these two states lean most of the time, if not all the time. And uh, this is a means by way of bringing it in so that he can ultimately push it out to the 600-plus school districts in the state of Ohio. And you, I, and you might say, well, how would he go about doing that? Because the, the uh, school districts have home rule. They are not subject to, uh, you know, they pretty much have um, sole autonomy on, on every program that they bring in. But now if the governor basically comes out and he says, look, this, we feel this is good for uh, pre-K, then the schools can basically say, well, you know, we're going to look at this for uh, K through 12. Well, John Stover, that's a very important information. Um I have no doubt. You're right, by the way, circumventing it by putting it in the, the pre-K level as opposed to K-12. And uh, and I know exactly what they're going to try to do. You closed your message from OVV with that uh, release yesterday with the phone number. So I want, to, uh, I want to read that and remind everybody, tell the governor, contact the governor, and tell them to not expose these pre-K kids to the Child Mind Institute's Transforming Children's Lives program. Uh, the governor's office is 614-644-4357. Again, 614-644-4357. Blow the phone lines up. 
I mean, seriously, fill the voicemail. Uh, make sure you take up all the space that you can. Send messages to the governor as well. You can find uh, uh, the email address on uh, on various government websites. But uh, make sure the governor knows how you feel about this attempt to indeed circumvent the law to bring in these radical SEL, CRT, and uh, uh, you know trans agendas and everything else into. Uh, into our kids' schools, even at the pre-K level. John Stover, Ohio Values Voters, thank you for what you guys do. I appreciate that very much. And uh, we'll talk. You know what? Maybe we can talk after you have your uh, seminar next week. Yes, yes. Bob, we, thank you very much. And you thank you for it. everything that you do. Thank you, John. Appreciate it. All right, coming up. Waking up America from its woke slumber. Always right radio with Bob France on The Answer. So trying to recap the... Um, absolute carnival the 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 clown show that uh, this congressional hearing to consider contempt of congress charges against hunter biden uh, how it has devolved i mean i i'm really i'm really struggling to kind of put all of it together i'm going to give it to you the best that i can here again hunter biden showed up unexpectedly at this congressional hearing to determine whether or not he would be held in contempt of, of congress and potentially uh, sentenced to a year in jail uh, he didn't want that. Maybe that's why he and his lawyers walked in. Maybe they were going to advocate for themselves. But it didn't last long because they walked in, and uh, Nancy Mace, Representative Nancy Mace, was recognized very quickly. Uh, Chairman Comer, um, first of all, my first question is who brought Hunter Biden to be here today? That's my first question. Um, second question, you are the epitome of white privilege, coming into the Oversight Committee, spitting in our face, ignoring a congressional subpoena to be deposed, what are you afraid of? You have no balls to come up here and... Mr. Chairman, point of inquiry. Mr. Chairman. She said what she said. Afraid to show up for a deposition. And you still can't today. Um, I believe that Hunter Biden should be held completely in contempt. I think he should be hauled off to jail right now. Because it wasn't long ago, too, my friends on the other side of the aisle... Um, that you also believed in the, the power of a congressional subpoena. Not long ago at all, you believed in holding those who refused to comply with congressional subpoena accountable. And I stood with each and every one of you. I am the only member in this room today who has held a member of my own party in contempt of Congress for not showing up for a subpoena. Now, if you thought that Nancy Mace was hard on him and landed some body blows... He didn't even want to get into the ring with MTG Marjorie Taylor Greene. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, excuse going? me, Hunter. Oh, apparently, no. you're afraid Keep of my words. Uh, Whoa! <laughs> oh! He got up and left. I like to reclaim my time, Mr. Chairman. Burst their bubble. <laughs> wow, that's too bad. <laughs> mm-hmm. So as the proceedings went on inside the chamber, out in the hallway, something else happened. I think it's clear and obvious for everyone watching this hearing today that Hunter Biden is terrified of strong conservative Republican women because he can't even face my words as I was about to speak to him. What a coward. Now here comes the hallway. And this is also a coward that sat right here in front of me. Could you please, I'll answer your question if you be quiet and let me make a statement, okay? What crack do you normally smoke, Mr. Biden? Yes, this is Hunter standing with his lawyer, his lawyer telling the press, be quiet, he wants to make a statement. The reporter yells out, what kind of crack do you smoke, Hunter? Start again. Mr. Mr. Biden. Biden. 
and is a private citizen. Well, despite this, Republicans have sought to use him as a... And then it was, I think, the same reporter, again, it was off mic, what kind of crack pipes do you use? I think that's what I heard there. We can try to hear it again. Republicans have sought to use him as a surrogate to attack his father. And despite their improper partisan motives, on six different occasions... I don't know... The questioner keeps on going about his favorite style of crack. I don't know about you, but I feel absolutely compelled. I don't think I have a choice but to remind everybody. My child called me up just the other day. He said, Dad, I need some crack. Can you help me today? And I had lots of cash. But bills to pay He said, don't worry, Dad, I'll find another way He was smoking for I knew it And away he flew Saying, I'm gonna be like you, Dad You know I'm gonna be like you And Hunter's in the basement with a silver spoon The hookers and drugs were gonna be there soon When you're coming home, Dad, I don't know when I'll be good and high by then, Dad yeah, I'll be good and high by then. Picking through rugs, um, smoking anything that re- even remotely resembled crack cocaine. I'm very proud of my son. My son came around just the other day. He said, I got me a deal where we can both get paid. Can I trade on your name? I said, sure, okay. Will anyone know? He said, no, no way. And as he walked away, he looked kind of dim and said, I'm going to be like him, yeah. You know I'm gonna be like him He's he's fixed it, he's worked on it And Hunter's in the basement with a silver spoon Your cranium bribes are gonna be there soon When you're coming home, Dad, I don't know when I'll put aside your 10%, Dad I'll always have your 10% So, honey, what are you doing? I said, Dad, I'm fine He said, we're not fine I know how to game the system Come on, come on well, he came from Kiev just the other day Had a smile so big I just had to say Son, I'm proud of you, how's our cash supply? He nodded his head and said Great big guy, but what I really need, Dad, is to borrow the car keys You can take the vet, but watch the boxes, please And Hunter's in the basement with a silver spoon Classified papers all over the room When you're coming home, Dad, I don't know when I'm getting good and high again, Dad. I'm getting good and high again. He pointed out the reason why he regrets it is he didn't anticipate that that folks like Giuliani would use it to, in fact, try to embarrass his father. And that's what they are. They're flat thugs. Come on. This guy has a dog whistle about as big as a foghorn. I stole an election and my son moved away. I called him up just the other day. I said you owe some cash, I want my cut today He said, calm down dad, you know it's on the way But my laptop is gone and now it's on you And now we're both really screwed dad And now we're both gonna be screwed And as I hung up the phone, it occurred to me He was damn near dumber than me My boy was dumb as me and there was Hunter in the basement with a silver spoon. All of our crime. 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.